In the not-too-distant future, a technophobe named Gray Trace finds himself paralyzed below the neck after he and his wife are attacked by a gang of thugs following a car wreck. His wife is murdered, and Gray wants vengeance. But first, he is implanted with a state-of-the-art computer chip that makes him walk again. But the chip, named STEM, has an agenda all its own in the 2018 underrated cyberpunk action thriller, Upgrade. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Caleb Bajay. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday, everyone. We know we promised a triple threat today with myself, Caleb, and Austin, but unfortunately, nature is an asshole. Austin is feeling a bit under the weather, so you'll have to make do with the two of us. But we still promise an awesome show with an awesome movie that we think did not get enough attention. Uh, yeah, very excited to do this. Wish Austin could be here, but hey, we still got an awesome show to do today. But before we get into it, I've got two updates on the Rewind. One for the Toxic Avenger and one for Jaws. First up, Elijah Wood has indeed joined the cast of the Toxic Avenger reboot. Took him long enough. <laughs> feel like we've been talking on and on about on and off about this for two or three weeks. And uh, Julie Davis has as well, so that's pretty cool. This cast is rounding out. Yeah, I mean, I'm still uh, I'm still trepidatious about this one, only because I don't want them to fuck it up. Yeah. But again, now that it's confirmed that Elijah Wood is actually going to be in on this. I'm excited. I like Elijah Wood. I've been liking a lot of his, uh, his horror stuff post, you know, Lord of the Rings. So, you know, I'm going to check it out. I just think it's weird. Like, what, what was with the runaround? What was with the, he's in it, he's not in it, he, he is in it. I don't, I think they reported <laughs> early. I think they, well, they said he was the bad guy, but then it was Kevin Bacon's the bad guy. And now I think he's just in the movie. I don't think he's the bad guy. I don't, yeah, it's really <laughs> weird because they announced him, but then, like, Kevin Bacon got announced, and they never, like, corrected themselves if it was bad. They were just like, Hey, Elijah Wood's in the movie now. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, I don't know. You know, maybe next week he, he'll fucking drop out. I don't know. I feel like we're going to be talking about this forever. Because <laughs> I feel like we already have been. Next up, and it's a brief one, but I felt it was worth talking about. Steven Spielberg has admitted that he has been approached about a potential Jaws reboot. He said no, thank God, but the fact that they're even talking about this is insane. Now, we covered Jaws, um, Austin and I, very early in the podcast run. It's a movie we really wanted to talk about. In my opinion, one of my favorites we've done so far. I think it was like 25, 26. Uh, I don't think anyone on this earth wants to see a Jaws reboot. I No, I do not want a Jaws reboot. Um, I think I'm, it's pretty safe to say that of the few films I think the whole film guys and team unites with, Jaws is one of them. I'm pretty sure all of us actually gave that thing a 10. Yeah. Um, it's a you know it it still holds up. It's still a, a fantastic movie. Spielberg by it like his one of his best directed films, definitely in my top five personally of his. Um, and the fact that they're trying to remake that really scares me. Um, and it's kind of like the whole thing with um, Robert Zemeckis and Back to the Future. Yeah. Um, the fact that they're approaching them scares me in the sense that are they at this point just going to wait till these guys die and then they go okay they're not stopping us now let's do it well that's exactly what happened to steven hillenberg on nickelodeon he was very against a spongebob spinoff anything and then he died from als and nickelodeon immediately pounced on the opportunity to franchise this thing 
and now there's like three spinoffs in production. So yeah. all they do is wait for the creators to die. Yeah, which is terrifying to think about. Like the fact that it really shows you how much they don't care sometimes about the person making the movie, the product lines, just as long as they can do what they want to do. Was it possible for them to put like some kind of ironclad clause in their will that says like this will never be touched? There's uh, depending on the estate, uh, they can do that. Um, there's a couple of estates. I'm not remembering. I know. I think that's why we haven't seen a lot of uh, Kubrick remakes. I'm pretty sure his estate has been like in charge of that. And they've been saying no. Mm. Um, so there has been cases where if he is smart and leaves it. Because I know I know he's married with, a, I think, like a six, seven kids. I know Spielberg has like a lot of kids. Yeah. And he's smart. And they care about it just like he does, which I'm sure they do. It's his dad. their their dad's work. They can protect it long after he's gone. Well, I hope that's the direction they take, both Spielberg and Zemeckis, because those two guys are single-handedly responsible for pretty much crafting my childhood. So I don't want to see these movies done, you know, poorly without heart. And I feel like we are going to see that. Yeah, I think yeah, I think the only hope we have is that if, you know, you can keep it safe in their hands and they keep telling them no as well, we're fine. If not, yeah, they'll just wait till he's dead and just immediately hop on it. Ugh. I mean, what would they even do with a Jaws reboot? It's such a simple, effective story. It works because of the three actors and the lack of shark, really. Like, you can't capture lightning in a bottle twice like that. Well, and they haven't. I mean, let's be honest. Like, there are shark films I like that have come out since Jaws, but has it, has there been one that I have liked as much or more than Jaws? No. No, not it's even still close. The, yeah, it's still the king movie for me. It, I haven't... It's like The Exorcist. I haven't seen an exorcism flick that's really surpassed that movie for me. It defines the ocean creature feature subgenre. It's Jaws. It's one, you know, it's one word. You say Jaws, everybody immediately knows what you're talking about. It's... You, you yeah. play the theme song, everything. Everyone knows what you're talking about with yeah. that movie, so no, it does not need to be... Yeah. The movie that started the summer blockbuster season, like, it's 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 sacred. <laughs> it started, it was one of the first big movies to, uh, I think I mentioned it when I wrote for the episode, uh, its use of uh, dialogue and how characters are talking over each other. Yeah. It was one of the first films to start doing that. Like, it has a lot of cultural significance, that it just leave it alone. Like make a different shark movie, making her forty-seven meters down or some shit. I don't care. Just don't remake Charles. Yeah, get creative with it. You know, I mean, like look at a movie like The Shallows, which was really good. You know, it wasn't Jaws. Nothing's ever gonna be Jaws, but it was a decent idea that toyed with sharks, did a cool, I, cool job, and I, I thought it was a pretty decent flick. Yeah, I like I like The Shallows, and yeah, I like you. It's definitely a movie I like, but no, it doesn't doesn't match or compare it to Jaws anyway. It's is it a good shark movie? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. My sole part where they tried telling me that um I think it was Galveston at the end <laughs> that that water is crystal clear. <laughs> Spoiler alert for anyone that's not from Texas: that water is not crystal clear. It is green as get out. Like, <laughs> yeah, all that oil runoff is gonna make the Texas ocean water a special color. <laughs> the Gulf Coast. I'm sorry, guys. If you're trying, look. If you're looking for clear blue in Texas, uh, I highly recommend South Padre. Just go there, and you'll be fine. I was literally there two weeks ago, and I got to tell you, I don't want to slam South Padre you know, lovers, but that place is fucking boring. It's it's only good for spring break, and that's so once you're past that, it's not really that great. Yeah. I miss, you know, I used to live on the East Coast, and they knew how to beach on the East Coast. I'm talking boardwalks, you know, 
carnivals, fucking like crepe place over by this beach I used to go to. I reminisce about the East Coast beaches all the time. I miss that. I'll be experiencing that once I make my move. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, that was a fun aside. Sure. The uh, point of this whole thing yeah. is that the water is not <laughs> blue in Galveston <laughs> Beach. That's why we're here. That's, yeah. <laughs> this is a PSA. Don't swim in the Galveston Ocean. You're probably walking out without your hair. Uh, no, seriously, though. Don't touch Jaws. Uh, <laughs> so, Upgrade. Uh, what is, what's your experience with this movie? Has this been like a, one you've gone back to since 2018? Oh yeah, I have gone back. So I did not see it in theaters, unfortunately. I was, I was part of the problem when it comes to these came and went movies. I didn't see it. Um, I rented it off of Netflix. Ah. So I'm one of the few people, I know you do it too, that so do the DVD service from them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's way cheaper than constantly renting shit off Amazon all the goddamn time. Totally. Um, I rented it, watched it with uh, an old roommate of mine, and we were both like hooked. I mean, the moment it started, like we were hooked. Um, and since then, this has been a—it's quickly since 2018, and I first watched it, become a favorite of mine. Um, it really, to me, defines Leo Winnell as a director, and shows his style. And I just—I've consistently been showing people this movie to show, like, oh, you want to see something really cool? You got to watch this. And we'll get more into it when we talk about the movie, but, like, there's just certain points that, like, are pretty consistent on when they uh, have their reaction and stuff. So, I, yeah, I, I fucking love this movie since I watched it back in 2018. That's cool. I'm glad you have such passion about this one. Uh, this is one that I did see at the movies back in 2018. Um, me and a friend used to work at Draft House, so we saw everything together. Uh, we went and saw Upgrade. Uh I remember thinking, like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Like, this is very much its own thing. And then I just kind of forgot about it. Uh, I remembered it was good. And then I watched it again for the show, and I'm like, fuck, yeah, what, 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 why haven't I revisited this one? This is a very entertaining, very cool movie with a very bleak ending. And you don't see a lot of bleak endings these days. Hollywood really loves to just, you know, pretend everything's sunshine and roses. But no, shit happens sometimes. I think I, I think I'm heard, I think I pretty excitedly texted you about this movie too. I believe, I know I was telling a lot of people when I first saw it. I was like, "Oh my god, upgrade!" <laughs> and um, if anyone, you know, quick little plug for a list I did. Uh, I did a on my top ten. I knew I was kind of stretching with it, but I did put this in like my top ten horror films of the decade. I know I was kind of stretching on the, that one, but I just that's how much I really ended up liking this movie. Is that it? It quickly just really stood out to me. It's got horror elements for sure. I think, you know, it belongs in that list. There's some freaky moments in this film. And the whole concept of, you know, an AI stealing your body is pretty horrifying. I, I would I would throw this in horror. It, it definitely um, has moments of, like, to me, body horror, like very Cronenberg body horror elements mm-hmm. at times. But, um, and the gore levels, when it hits that, are, like, of a horror movie. It's of no other type of genre I've seen. <laughs> uh, so Upgrade was written and directed by Lee Winnell. Saw and Insidious alumni who hit it big with last year's Invisible Man remake, currently slated to remake The Wolfman for Blumhouse. And yeah, like you said, this really shows his skills as a director and what he's capable of doing. And then he would enhance those skills with The Invisible Man. And not just as a, you know, a director, but as a writer, too. This is uh, really creative. And I, I think this guy's, you know, we've talked about him a lot on this show. 
when we did Saw, when we did The Invisible Man. Like he he's come up a lot because he he's one of those guys to be looking out for in in horror. Now, I mean, he's always been kind of there, but now I feel like he's really coming to his own, and we're going to be seeing some really cool shit in the next few years. Uh, yeah, I I agree with you. I he's really been standing out a lot more recently. Um, cause, you know, like I said, he's always been there. He's always been attached to uh, James Wan at first. He, you know, he he wrote the Saw, the first couple of Saw movies, and he wrote, I think, the first two Insidious, maybe three. I know he directed the third one. But, you know, he was writing the Insidious movies. So he was always attached to Ron for a while there. And then when James Wan went to go do his, like, essentially, like, what I call his mainstream Hollywood stuff, Juan, oh, not Juan, uh, Winnell kind of started co-writing different stuff. You know, he co-wrote uh, Cuties and a couple other stuff, but oh. he didn't really still break out of, into his own mold. And then he did this little movie that, you know, unfortunately came and went, but it definitely, like I said, it established a style. So I was like, Juan is a very, not just really good, <coughs> sorry, really good writer, but very distinct uh, creative director as well. And Invisible Man... Thank God, you know, that was the one that, you know, he followed up with and became a monstrous success before the pandemic took over and really established him as, like, the next great horror director, in my opinion. I I would maybe even argue that if he keeps this up, he might outshine James Wan for me. Ooh. I'm, I'm really digging what Lee Winnell is doing. That is high praise. I, I can't stress enough. I'm very much in love with what he's doing. I love Invisible Man and Upgrade are just so fucking good to me. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, well, we found out earlier today that he 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 co-wrote Dead Silence with James Wan, right? Yes, he co-wrote it. James Wan directed it. A lot of people forget that one. It came yeah. out after Saw and didn't really do a lot. I actually picked up the Blu-ray a couple weeks ago. I, I like it. Very Great. underappreciated film. Well, I noticed a lot of Dead Silence in Upgrade. Like, it's just a, it's just a more futuristic, modern puppet. In the way STEM controls everything, it's really smart. Yeah, like, well, that's what I like about really both of them. Um, is that they constantly find ways to input like their prior work into their new movies. Um, James Wan, if you pay attention in Aquaman, Billy the Puppet's in it. He has a scene where Billy Puppet shows up. I don't know about Furious Seven. He may have been probably told no by Universal when you know the the power that is Vin Diesel. <laughs> um, Xander Cage himself, yeah, t- turned that Dominic one down. Toretto, um, <laughs> Richard B. Riddick, Dick Riddick said no. God damn it, God. And uh, <laughs> but and Lay Winnell's in the same thing. Um, in Invisible Man, there's a scene um, where there's a <laughs> Billy the Puppet painted on a wall. <laughs> Someone pointed out the screenshot, and actually, when I rewatched the movie, I saw it, so it's there. And I think there was something an upgrade with its. It pops up somewhere. So they do like to reference the prior works and kind of show like they don't forget where they started, which is really cool for me. Well, that shows to me that they're having fun with it. <coughs> like, and that's really what you should do with this kind of, you know, with filmmaking. Like, if you're not enjoying yourself, you're not doing it right. Yeah, they're, they're, they're still very much to me what I like, which is um, their fans making movies. Their fans having a whole lot of fun. They're not. Not to, like, throw shade at our directors, but, you know, the ones that they start out as fans, they get all this acclaim, and then they kind of start to slowly get their head shut up their ass. Yeah. His name rhymes with Pykel May. 
So it could be anybody. But There's also two others I'm thinking of. That's <laughs> just me. When I think director with their head up his ass, that's the first guy I go to. He is one, yeah. <laughs> Pykel, try harder. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I do. I like this kind of, you know, playing in the sandbox style of filmmaking that Lee Winnell seems to have with James Wan. The Invisible Man very much felt like somebody who wanted to do the original justice and also experiment with their own story. Mm-hmm. And that perfect union like resulted in a great film. Yeah. And I also like how they, uh, they still help each other out. Like, yeah. Leigh Winnell does a cameo in Aquaman as, uh, the, remember when they're flying to the desert, he's the pilot for that plane. Holy shit. That I was, yeah. Oh my God. I so mean, he, <laughs> as long as he's not told no again by, you know, Dominic Toretto, <laughs> You know, he they still help each other out. They still like to, you know, do things with each other. So it's not like they, they started out as, you know, it's not like they started out as friends and they kind of split into their own thing. They st- yeah, they're doing their own thing, but they still, when they can, are like, hey, you want to carry on this? Or, hey, you want to put this in the movie? Yeah, sure. It's fantastic. I love that. Uh, let's talk a bit about the cast of this thing. Uh, it's a pretty bare-bones cast. There's not a lot of major characters in this film. Uh, Logan Marshall Green plays Gray Trace, our hero. Some of his other films include The Invitation, Devil, Snowden, and Spider-Man Homecoming. He's the first shocker who threatens Michael Keaton's vulture and gets blasted apart in the process. In which case, Bokeem Woodbine becomes the shocker. So, he's the first shocker. I, did, I didn't know that till tonight, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that either. Um, my most experience with him was in Prometheus. Oh, boy. Yeah, I remember seeing that, and I was like, oh. And I remember watching that movie and going, why does he look like Tom Hardy? And <laughs> then when this movie came out, all the reviews pointed that out, too. So I was like, okay, good, I'm not the only one. But in, like, all, like, aside of the very striking similarities, he is fantastic in this, and a contender for why I think the Oscars need to get their heads out of their asses and look at stuff all year round. Yeah. Because his performance is outstanding. When you take into account that he has to play a guy that has a, a chip, essentially, in his body that controls everything he does. It controls his movement, and if you pay attention to his, how he walks and how he talks throughout the movie, it's it's a very subtle change, but you see him become more robotic, and it's just really impressive how he pulls it off. Yeah. It is. It's remarkable, you know. For a guy I once dubbed as Tom Hardley, I, I apologize, Mr. Green, Mr. Marshall Green. Uh... I think he's great in Upgrade, but honestly, for me, his his shining uh, accomplishment is The Invitation. That movie is so creepy and so smart and so off the fucking wall. And I can't believe you haven't seen it yet. It's such a great movie. I know. I need I, honestly hearing that he's as good as that and in that as he is in uh, Upgrade makes me want to watch it even more. Because yeah. uh, that means, if anything, Mr. Green Man, keep doing some this like indie horror stuff because that yeah. seems to be where you're excelling strongly and i'll definitely i'll definitely keep watching well uh karen kusama who did the invitation she's been tapped by blumhouse to do dracula so that right there is all the motivation you need <laughs> all right yeah it looks like i got my homework to do then <laughs> um simon maiden is the voice of stem the ai computer chip and in my opinion one of the creepiest villains of the 21st century, especially since you don't know he's the bad guy till the end of the film. Spoiler alert, but it has been out for three years. Uh, This is one of his few American movies, as he's an Australian actor who does a lot of Australian soaps, kind of TV shows. 
Uh, but he does a great job as just a emotionless, very HAL 9000-esque robotic voice. Uh, yeah, unnerves me. Just, you know, disembodied robotic voices with no souls are unnerving as hell. Yeah, no, he, he's also really good. Especially, like, I want to see how they film this movie. Because at first, when you don't know what's, like, the ultimate twist, right? Him and um, Logan Marshall Green's... Uh, Play, playing off each other is actually really funny. It's like a buddy cop movie. Yeah, like they have a they they play well off each other. There's a lot of funny lines, a lot of funny moments, in midst of like really gruesome shit happening. <laughs> that like you kind of like Stim. You're like I kind of like Stim. I remember when I first watched, it, I was like I would actually not mind having Stim <laughs> in me. But then obviously it gets to the end, and it takes that turn, and you're like oh, never mind. I don't want Stim. I don't nope. <laughs> and yeah, he doesn't change his voice at all, and yet it just gets creepy. It, there's no change in the voice because it's a robot, essentially, and it goes from being funny to creepy, and that's to me like really impressive. And just the power of movies. Remove input guards, like the implication and his eyes widening, like oh shit, what have I done? Great, great little scene. Um, Harrison Gilbertson plays Aaron Keene, the man who designed STEM. Uh, Gilbertson has also appeared in such films as Need for Speed and In the Tall Grass. And he's a very odd character, very much, you know, this underground inventor dude who we later learn is really STEM's puppet, which is where the Dead Silence comparisons come in. Uh, yeah, really cool. Yeah, he, he plays a good, like, to me, like, ideal of, like, what could happen if we go into that kind of future where we rely on technology so much. Yeah. Because, I mean, we rely on technology enough as is, and it wouldn't be surprising if you had someone like that that exists that lives underground, doesn't really trust humanity. He's kind of an oddball. Like, it doesn't surprise. Um, he needs to pick better movies because out of that, what you just told me he was in. This <laughs> yeah. is the only thing I've liked. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. Well, I like how this whole film really comes from, you know, a fear of technology because Gray Trace, or Gray Trace, Gray Trace, I think. Gray, yeah, Gray. Yeah. His, uh, I don't remember his last name. He Stem calls him Gray, so we'll just say Gray. There you go. He's afraid of the advancements of technology. He's afraid of not being in control of his own life, which is ironic. And, um, you know, he's got a souped-up Thunderbird. He doesn't drive these, like, auto-drive cars. He doesn't like it. He's stuck in the past. And his life is kind of taken out of his own control, you know, against his will. He's forced to have to adapt to technology, and it really... Bites him in the ass. It's a smart, it's a smart script that's very timely with our technology now. And um, the idea of, like, you know, when is it too much? Whenever we cross that line of we're relying on it too much. Because, I mean, yeah, on one end, I love technology. You've seen my setup of my my movies and, um, you know, and all that good stuff. Oh, you're telling me. <laughs> yeah. I know. And I'm telling you. So, you know, we... We're aware of, like, our love for technology and stuff, but at the same time, yeah, I don't want a self-driving car. I like driving my own car. I don't want someone doing it for me. Yeah, at what point are you even living when everything is being taken care of for you? Like, where? what is your life? Yeah, and it, it's if you look at the things that are being designed now, I mean, it's everything from, you know, the, uh, the hands for amputees that... Uh, do it based off your neurological impulse, it can actually move. Yeah. So it's like, is it really like you doing it or the machine? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, you know, on like the more sleazier side of things, the very creepy sex robots they're making, mm -hmm. 
Like, it's just, it's getting so, to me, like, crazy and out there. What the fuck we're doing with technology? Like, you can, li- we're literally living in a world where you can fuck a robot. Like, <laughs> that's weird to me. <laughs> it's interesting. You know, last week we talked a lot about technology's role in our lives and how, you know, Cronenberg kind of called this back in the 80s with Videodrome. I think it's interesting that this was the film we had coming next because it's kind of like the next logical stepping stone from Videodrome. Yeah, it, it really is. You know, and it's interesting because it kind of, to me, explore two different things with the with it, within what they're both talking about. Yeah. You know, Videodrome is very much about media and that part of it, right, and the influence of media on us and technology. And this explores, like, almost like us playing God. You know what I mean? Like, we're getting so into technology and we start playing God ourselves and what we can do to the human body with enhancements. Um, so it's, it's like, they're talking about the same thing, but approaching it from two different angles. And obviously with, you know, the g- gap in years, it gets almost like crazy how they can uh, get more accurate, more advanced with what they're talking about. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, Cronenberg and Winnell both have their own styles and they're both their own visions and they approach a similar story like this with vastly different uh, conclusions, but still, it's just cool to kind of double feature this. I don't know why. They yeah. fit together in a weird way. They do. And they also did it with both very nihilistic endings. I want to point that out. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, Betty Gabriel plays Detective Cortez, who's a pretty terrible cop. Uh, Gabriel's also appeared in such films as Get Out, The Purge, Election Year, and Unfriended Dark Web. And she's really bad at her job. Yeah, you know, I'll give the actress credit. She's good in this, and I actually do like the movies she's in that you named. Um, <laughs> so she's at least picking good stuff in horror. Um, I know some people probably argue The Purge, but it is a humongously successful franchise with a new one on the way. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, she's fine, but, God, her copying is terrible. You never really see her cop. Um, the one scene you get in the prank scene, she's getting so much sass. From Logan Marshall is almost funny. <laughs> and I think the most you see is when she suspects him of shit, and then she gets interested in copying, and then like she quickly gets dispatched. Well, I love that when she I love when she goes to his his house to try to like buy his car, saying like, "Well, you don't need it anymore." Like, fuck, lady. Yeah. There's, there's tact. <laughs> like, I know you you're you think he's not he's lying to you, and we know he's lying to you, but wow, yeah. Yeah, that's his pride and joy. Leave his car out of it. God. Be sure before you start doing that shit. And I just feel like, you know, she ends up getting shot to death by, you know, cyborg Graystem. So I just, I don't think she really accomplished anything. Terrible cop. (laughs) Finally, Benedict Hardy plays Fisk, the guy who killed Gray's wife. Hardy has also appeared in such films as Hacksaw Ridge, War Machine, and The Invisible Man. Uh, So another guy who's got, you know, Good resume. Kind of an underused villain, but again, he's kind of the red herring. Yeah, he's not meant to be the main villain. Yeah. Um, I remember he did play a pretty similarly, like, like really small role in The Invisible Man. But, I mean, hopefully, I kind of got the idea that, you know, maybe he's like a go-to for Lay Winnell. Could be. And if he keeps popping up in Lay Winnell movies, then, hey, you know, that's awesome. We got this guy who just keeps <laughs> popping up in various roles. Yeah. And I, the bit that he plays, he's good. I like him. He does serve his purpose really well, especially with the end when he's going on about being like upgraded. And he, he sells the idea that he is 
he thinks he's so much better than everyone because of what he is. He does that really well. And is he wrong? I mean, by, you know, mechanical enhancements, kind of, you know, creating cyborgs. How human are they, really? At, you know, at what point are you still a human being? Yeah. It, yeah, it's again, it's an ideal playing God. And when do you stop being human? And when do you become machine? I think the tagline for this movie is actually, like, not man, not machine, more. <laughs> so it's, it does explain it of, like, you know, we are, like I said, we are seeing things where they are making, like, these, you know, robotic limbs and whatnot, and they're looking into other ways they can enhance the human body in real life. When do we stop being human, if that's the case? And when are we just a machine? When are we, when are we the computer well, it reminds me of that paradox of, you know, you have a car and over time you replace every piece of this car. You know, is it at what point is it still the same car? Like, is it ever again the same car? I don't know. Just food for thought. Uh, Upgrade has an IMDb score of 7.5. Rotten Tomatoes score of 88%. It grossed a respectable $17 million on a budget of only $3 million. I'd say it's on its way to becoming a cult classic. Uh, kind of came and went, but I think you know. I think with the Invisible Man success, I think people you know, went back to Winnell's work. Possibly gave the you know upgrade another another chance. Yeah, um, like I said, unfortunately, I was. I know I preach about it a lot, but I can fully admit I'll call myself out. I was one of the people that did not see this in theaters, um, and I do deeply regret it because yeah, I mean, luckily Invisible Man was a success. People seem to be going back to it. I do think it's going to be a major cult hit because the people who have seen it talk very highly about it. I have yet to be anyone that's been like, oh, no, that was stupid. Like, almost, and the people I've shown it, like, I've shown it to people as much as I can. They end up really liking it. So it's, it seems to really get an audience as soon as it gets watched. So I think it's, yeah, it will be a cult classic for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with that, let's discuss some highlights. Let's talk a bit about this film. Uh, off the bat, I do think it's odd that Gray and his wife are referring to themselves as, you know, referring to each other as husband and wife. Because people don't do that. You know, oh, husband of mine. Oh, wife. How are you? Like, that's just, it seems forced. <laughs> <laughs> Movies love to do that, though. Like, yeah. uh, I, I ne- it kills me every time. As much as I love the new, uh, you know, the Halloween 2018, right? Mm-hmm. Every time she goes to Jamie Lee Curtis's house and she starts going, Grandmama. <laughs> grandmama where are you i'm like just say grandma stop saying grandmama who the hell actually says that i've i've said it a couple times mostly in jest but yeah it is it's it's an, it's the film just getting right out the bat you know hey these two are married in case that wasn't clear but like there's you know subtler ways to do that than just saying husband wife like that's what they do in porn to remind you, you know, like, oh, step bro, can you come over here? Like that shit. To just remind you, all right, that's the those, these are the roles for tonight. <laughs> that's not the popcorn step bro. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. Um, and I don't want to. Sh- I'm not shitting on upgrade. I just it's a weird thing I notice in a lot of movies. It no, I agree. It's a weird thing, and they could have done it better. Like, she comes home to him, so it's established that they live together. So I would assume if they're only two in the house that they're you know, married or at very least a couple. Um, but I don't know any married couples that go wife, unless like you have pissed (laughs) or husband, unless you've pissed her the fuck off. (laughs) And even then when I've been, when I've seen that, it's usually, they just say their name. They just, it's usually babe, honey. And then if they're mad, they just say your name. Like I've never heard wife, husband. 
Yeah. Unless it's like a machine trying to figure out how a you know human marriage works. Let us go to bed, wife. It is late. <laughs> I agree, husband. <laughs> uh, the car wreck and subsequent murder is a pretty grisly scene. Uh, a little hard to watch. The car wreck admittedly doesn't look that rough, but uh, it does flip. But then they're dragged out of the car and shot. <laughs> well, like the car wreck doesn't look rough itself because it's a uh, Logan Marshall Green. To Mr. Green's credit, I'm just going to say that because I don't want to keep saying his whole name. <laughs> Mr. Green's credit, his character is very fast acting. Like, you actually see, like, when they, he's about to see, like, oh, shit, we're about to flip. Yeah. He pushes his wife back into the seat and buckles her up. So, like, she's pretty much, like, saved. He's the one that gets kind of, like, tossed around real quick. Mm-hmm. But even then, it doesn't look like it was too bad. Like, he would have walked out of that one. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that, that scene is uh, grisly. And, um, yeah, when they pull him out... I, I'm not gonna lie. First time I watched it, I had to rewatch it because when they threw him in the back, I was like, "What the fuck did they just shoot him with in the back?" <laughs> well, it also sucks that there's like there's forty something people there just watching this happen, which is pretty shitty. Look, hobos are simple people. <laughs> they don't they don't want their tents to get messed up. That's all that mattered to they're, them. They're a simple folk. I'll buy it. <laughs> uh. So after, you know, with this, uh, she's killed and he is paralyzed from the neck down, becomes a quadriplegic and immediately wants to kill himself. He tries to overdose on medication, but his like smart home won't do it for him. Uh, And then his friend Aaron tells him about this super chip he invented called STEM that can make him walk again. So... Gray, with no other really record, you know, another course of action, says, "All right, fuck it, plug me up," and has the surgery, and immediately he can walk and move his arms because this machine that's now talking in his head, which freaks him out. He's like, "Can you can you not talk? Don't talk." But that was funny. Yeah, that that cracked me up when you first heard him talk, and he's just like, "Can you don't do that?" Mm-hmm. And then like he sits down and he asks you a question. And he, He's like, why aren't you talking? You told me not to talk. <laughs> okay, you can talk now. <laughs> it's funny. It kept, you know, it, it lulls you into a false sense of security, so you're just not expecting this thing to be as fucking evil as it really is. It's quite brilliant. Yeah, it's it's a good way to, like, to me, it's really good investment into what's happening with certain characters because, yeah, you, like I said, you see him at kind of a low. Like, he's trying to kill himself. He's understandably upset. Like, anyone who was very, from what I could see, was in a very good, loving marriage... And something tragic like that happens, and the cops, the cop, your cop sucks. You can't find the people. Your cop. <laughs> the cop is signed to him. <laughs> and can't find the people. Um, yeah, and then, you know, he can't walk. He lost his ability to walk and do anything. Yeah, you can see with someone getting really low, low place with that. Um, you know, as a, to get, like, so slightly rough, someone who came off a very um, long deployment, I can definitely attest that, like, mentally you'd be surprised by how quick you can get yourself in a bad place, mm-hmm. depending on something. I know that's a different case than what happens in the movie, but just, like, as someone who kind of knows at least a little taste of how bad it can get mentally for you, I can buy that, and it rolls you in real quick on that. So that and then when he gets the chip, and, yeah, that, that first talk, it's kind of like in Venom, right? When mm-hmm. he, Venom's like, Eddie, and he shrieks, like... It, it gets you into that false sense of scary, like, oh, okay, this is going to be kind of funny. He has, like, a, a new buddy in his head, almost. 
And I, I like how his performance completely changes when he's under Stem's control. His, his movements become much more stabilized, like robotic. His gait, the way he walks, is just completely different. It, it looks like someone who's not moving of their own accord. It's a very smart way to play it. Yeah, and again, this is why it bugs me when horror gets so overlooked at the uh, academies because it's a it shows to me on uh you know Mr. Green's part how great of an actor he is for this because he completely sells it because yeah the moment stem is in his body and you have the quick like training montage of him getting back yeah he starts adopting a different walk like he's very robotic um even some of the camera shots if you notice he's like in the middle of the camera a lot in the middle of the, of the shot yeah it's very robotic very symmetrical almost like it, he's no you see that from this point on he's not fully human anymore this this thing is doing everything it's helping him walk it's helping him um get where he needs to go he's not man he's not machine he's more he's man machine um that was stupid <laughs> um so the scene where i think this thing really turns into horror is when he finds the first guy who was responsible for his wife's murder and you know, hides in his house and starts fighting the guy, lets Stem take over, and Stem just fucking nearly cuts this guy's head in half, jaw first with a knife, which was fucking wild, out of nowhere crazy. I mean, unless you saw the Red Band trailer, it was in there. <laughs> I likely had not, so... Uh, no, this scene, it's funny. Every time I show this movie to people, right, I wait for this scene. Because people get, you know, you, you see the people getting into it, they're really invested in the story, and they're like, okay, I kind of want to see where this goes. And you get to that part, and the scene's really smart in the sense that, like, even before you get to that whole knife part, again, talking about that comedy and stuff with Stim, you're laughing. Like, when he's sitting there and he's hitting with the plate, yeah. you're laughing because Green's performance is, oh, God, oh, God, <laughs> he's hitting him. And he's just like, stay down, man. Come on, man, just stay. <laughs> it's a really funny scene. Um, the lead-up to it, too, when he's, uh, when the guy has him on the ground and Stim's like, it's like, Stim, help. I need permission first, Gray. Mm-hmm. You have permission, and it just flips. And again, this, and then you get invested into the uh, the camera work that we're yeah on this scene, like the way Rennell films action because he used it again in Invisible Man. His action techniques is something I've never seen in a f- action film ever. It's some impressive visuals. Uh, there's a moment where Gray kind of comes up off the floor feet first without moving anything else, and it very much feels like a nod to Nosferatu to me. I mean, I can't back that up. It's just what I think. But uh, knowing, you know, later on he would adapt The Invisible Man, I'm sure he's a fan of the classics, so not to say that. And even, again, just, like, the impressions again, like, the camera to follow him. Like, the camera just moves perfectly with that rise up. Mm -hmm. And the whole way up. And then when you see, like, the wide shot, and he's doing all these... And this goes to, like, the choreography. The choreography of him blocking the moves and attacking back. Again, going to that performance, very robotic if you pay attention to how he's doing it. It's not a man doing these moves. It's a machine that is mimicking a human fighting. Um, and then, yeah, again, and then when we finally get to that knife scene, I always pay attention because consistently, because it's so fucking out there, you don't expect it. Every time I watch this with people, and this is why I pay attention, I get a very audible gasp. Like, I get a very audible, like, oh, my fucking God, from people. Like, (laughs) no one sees it coming, because you don't. Like, you get so lulled in that the moment he just pulls that knife through that dude's mouth, and the camera does not cut, you see it, 
it fucking it sends a shock. You don't expect that. Well, the film, the uh, cinematographer is a guy named Stefan Ducio, and he also was the cinematographer for The Invisible Man. So I think he had uh, something to do with this. Uh, I like to shout out the cinematographers. Feel like they don't usually get a lot of love. No, no, he does. You know, him and his collaboration with Ronell on how to achieve these action scenes. Action directors, you know, pay more attention. Like, why is it, like, movies like John Wick and this thing outs me and, like, all the other action films that come out don't? Oh, yeah, because they actually know how to fucking film action scenes. Yeah, it's not just, you know, fucking quick cuts. It's actually, you know, film, like, creating a scene that you get lost in, just like any other genre. Yeah, where it'd be, like, in this one with the unique movement of the camera for the shots, or in, like, John Wick, the fact that they're applying that, the what I call, like, the Asian uh, martial arts technique of long shots. It's not quick cuts. It's very long takes where you're seeing it happen. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I want to talk a bit about the bar scene where uh, Greg shows up in the in the chair and everyone is super patient with him because <laughs> he's a paraplegic. No one's going to say no, even in a rowdy bar like this. I love that. Like, can you, can you hold up this glass? And the guy's just like, <laughs> gives him the glass. I like the way Green looks at him in the glass when he asks. <laughs> if you see his face, he's like looking at him and then to the glass, like, hey, can you help me with the glass? And then... <laughs> Again, oh. Green is like really funny in this movie. Like that scene too, when he like turns the chair around, he's like, all right, everyone listen up. <laughs> like this is a ball full of like hardcore, like they murder and rape. Okay, let's just put that out there. These yeah. people murder and rape. And he is ballsy enough to be like, if you ever killed my wife, if you could just, like, raise your hand or stand up and come forward. (laughs) (laughs) And then one guy does, and he fucks him up. I love that. And then he comes out in the chair, unscathed, and just leaves. And the bartender goes in the bathroom and is like, oh, shit. (laughs) No no way to explain what the hell just happened. No, and then he does say that great line, did you know I'm a fucking ninja? (laughs) And then again, you see again with the robots trying to be human, and he does that weird hand thing where a human quickly puts their hands together. You see him do it, and then like pause, like the robots trying to be like, "How does one do this?" <laughs> well, and also the robots like, uh, "I am not a ninja, Gray." <laughs> Clarifying, <laughs> it's it's funny. It really does. This movie is not what you know. It 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 makes you keeps you positive until the last like twenty minutes, and then you're just like. Fuck, the ground drops out from beneath your feet. It's really crazy. Yeah. Also, like, in this in this bar scene, you don't actually see, as it happens, what he's doing to the guy in the bathroom. It's just really awesome sound effects. Oof. And and uh, Green's reaction, because, you know, he has a really, like, I can't do it. He's like, let me do it, Gray. It's like, all right, you have permission. And he just looks away and you just hear the, like, cuts. And then, all right, Stim, stop. Stim, stop. <laughs> but I love that he doesn't stop immediately. Because Stem's starting to get autonomous. He's starting to, like, enjoy dishing and paying out. It's yeah. creepy. Yeah, Stem's starting to get a taste for, like, the blood, if yeah. you will. Straight up. Uh, so soon after that, uh, Aaron, uh, Gray's friend, well, you know, associate. Well, so the guy who, the only guy left paying Gray for the car work, whatever car stuff Gray does. Yeah, it's kind of, their relationship's pretty vague. But he's like, dude, Stem's out of control. We got to shoot. This. We got to shut this down. And he's like, no. And he's like, well, too bad. 
And so he starts shutting him down, and Stem's like, I am being shut down, Gray. we got to stop this. And gives him, like, the name and number of a local hacker and starts to having him write down his, like, system code. And the hacker just kind of drags Gray in and starts hacking into Stem and fixes it up. But, you know, the, the gang is after Stem and Gray now. They know what's up. And uh, he, they fuck him up at the hacker's place. <laughs> yeah. And again, kind of going back to, like, some real smart stuff with this movie. Uh, again, Green's performance, like... How he's having to act, because again, he has to act like his body shut down. It does not work right now. Yeah. So he's having to sit there and do everything without moving an inch of his body. He's supposed to be a quadriplegic. <laughs> again, fucking impressive. Impressive shit from him. Um, and then the other thing is what I like is that this movie, this is part where the movie kind of gives you a hint to where it's going without telling you, because the hacker has that moan of like, oh shit, nope, uh-uh, I am done. <laughs> but it does not show you, it does not tell you why this hacker all of a sudden freaks the fuck out. The hacker's just like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. And like, shuts, you know, her, they, I don't know what gender to call the hacker because that's a big dialogue part. Um, closes the computer and like just bounces, just leaves the poor guy there. Yeah, it's... Well, now, because of what they did, STEM has no wall. STEM can do whatever STEM wants to do. And that's a pretty terrifying reality. Right. Which, again, is probably what, ha- what the hacker realizes, but the movie smartly does not tell you that. You just see her terrified reaction. Yeah. To whatever the fuck she found on her computer, and then, fuck you, dude, I'm out, and leaves. Because this is a future where bionic implants and you know AI is not weird. But this thing is so fucking advanced, it pretty much rewrites what it means to be human. And that's going to freak some people out. And I would love to see where this goes next. Like, what is STEM's next step? Because I think it, like, it, it's going to want more than just a body. It's going to want to, like, rule, I think. Like, I'm sensing, you know, a future, like, this is Ultron in the making here. Yeah, and I wonder if it's something like, again, they kind of show it in that uh, the scene at the Hackers, those people that were like, they only like to live in the virtual world. Mm-hmm. When he, go, he goes, what's up with these guys? And she goes, they don't want to live in the real world. It's them going to create some fake uh, virtual world for everyone so it can just run amok. Holy fuck, this is a prequel to The Matrix. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it just clicked. You just you just described <laughs> The Matrix. Shit, that actually makes a weird bit of sense. Oh, Stem got real fucking big time. <laughs> Cool. That's how I'm going to view this film from now on. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Uh, like you were saying. <laughs> uh, yeah. The remaining associates are hunting uh, Gray down now. And there's a really cool scene in the bar again where they're like, why didn't you uh, help? And the guy's like, that's not my job. I called you. Okay. I did <laughs> what I was supposed to. I called you guys. I just pour the drinks. I just clean the glasses. And again, Yeah. He has that whole superiority complex of, like, you should be helping us. Your kind should be privileged to know that you're helping us and serving us. Yeah. And he just sneezes, which looks really dumb at first. Because you're like, what the fuck? But then the camera zooms in, and you see, apparently, he has, like, snot robots that have razors that go into the dude's nose and cut up his brain. Razor snot bots. It's a real danger. (laughs) Never seen that before. That's for sure. It's very inventive. Yeah. Um, we also in uh, finally see what their guns are, which is they have gun hands. <laughs> which I'm not gonna lie, I would totally get that fucking implant. 
Yeah, except every time you, like, you know, had to rub your nose or something, you blew your fucking face off. That's part true, but the part where he, like, loads, reloads his arm is a really cool visual. <laughs> and then, at that point, somebody gets their head fucking blown off with their arm gun, which was really, Gray, like, he breaks the guy's arm, twists it into his face, and it blows his head off with his own handgun. That was, that was gnarly. Yeah, and again, the camera does not cut. You watch this head below like Tom Savini was involved with the <laughs> makeup effects here. <laughs> oh, uh, some bits and pieces go by and we find out that stems behind all of this. Uh, Aaron created stem and then stem took control of Aaron, forced him to hire people to kill Gray's family. So he stem could get a hold of a body who was untainted by mechanical, uh, upgrades already. And he's the only person on earth who doesn't, care for self-driving cars, so it's him. I mean, I, I would have been with Gray. I don't care for self-driving cars one, one bit. Yeah. Let's be honest. The only reason people want self-driving cars is because you can have sex in them. Why is moving? Yeah. Several people have gotten in trouble already for doing that. Yeah, see, that's... Look, we're we're humans. We're not nearly as complex as, I like to, as we think we are. We're simple. Self-driving car? How do I fucking it? That's what went on in every person's head when that was announced. Yep. And as we see in the movie, they still they do it in the future too. Yeah, that's actually one of the that's what distracted them <laughs> and caused the car crash. <laughs> well, to be fair, Stem caused the car crash. Stem caused it, but yeah, they were a little bit too invested in uh, some uh, some sexy times. Well, Stem convinced Gray to go on this hunt for vengeance so he could gradually convince Gray to knock down the firewalls. And now Stem has complete control of Gray's body and traps Gray in a virtual reality illusion where he's, you know, he survived the accident and so did his wife. Just, oh, that's, it's so fucking grim when you like, yeah. watch it. Uh, even before that, when you see him fighting, fighting for his own sanity, um, when he like stabs his hand and Stem sounds like, keep fighting, you're going to break. <laughs> it's almost like some kind of warns him, like, you know, we can live... Uh, copacetic if you play along but if you keep fighting you're going to mentally break and i have full control yeah and you know he's obviously so against this technology he keeps fighting and you see him like trying to move his arm to not shoot the cop he stabs his own hand like he does all this shit to fight and then he finally like as soon as you see that scene it's done he broke he's he can't do it anymore and stem got what he wanted which was he was able to trap him in his happiest memory or in a happy <laughs> fantasy for him. And then Green's performance after Stem takes control of just this empty blank slate that's like super robotic is so unnerving and just, you know, makes me think of the implications and what's going to happen next and where this is going to go. And, ah, it's freaky. Yeah, the way he's moving his hand to take the knife off and he tastes his own blood. Um... And in the camera, again, going back to the camera concern, the, uh, the cinematographer, like, if you notice, that shot's very symmetrical. He's in the middle of the frame. So they do a really good job, you know, again, giving a shout-out to the cinematographer and, you know, to an extent, Rennell. I know they have to do shot plans and all that stuff. Um, of making it not just the performance, but, like, the camera enforces that robotic feeling. Yeah. With him just... Because usually, right... It's like enough room for someone else to be in the scene or 
whatever, or an up close or whatever, but no, it's like perfectly in this weird symmetrical light, middle of the shot, and he's doing all this robotic stuff, and it's just zooming in closer and closer as he's doing all this stuff. Yeah. It's like he's, you know, he's taking control of the movie. It's, he's in your head now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fucked up. So smart. Yeah, this movie does not get enough credit. It really doesn't. I, I look, until the day I die, there are certain films that I will constantly do my make a point to show people, and this is one of them. I mean, just like I said with The Raid, right? This is a movie I will constantly show people. It's a fucking awesome film that more people need to see. I know we're not getting a sequel anytime soon. I'm absolutely okay with that. It's a great one-and-done film. But goddamn, if I'm going to make a point to show anyone I can that's interested in this fucking movie. Well, that's why, you know, I love doing that with this podcast, is spotlighting these, you know, one-and-doneers, these movies that come and go but deserve to be talked about. And that's, I love spotlighting those here on this podcast. Yeah, it's it's just I, I can't give enough praise to really everyone involved. Like, and not, I'm not talking just like, you know, Omar Screen, Leigh Winnell, the cinematographer, the editor, like, right, right. I'm talking to even like anyone involved, the grips, everyone involved. Like, they came together and made, and made truly to me one of the best American films in cinema in recent years. I, I cannot stress enough. Damn how much this film just really spoke to me and how much I enjoyed it. And God, this is a fucking damn near masterpiece to me. (laughs) Wow. Here are some film guys and facts for upgrade. Number one, the film has drawn a lot of comparisons to another 2018 film venom, but Lee Winnell said he was not familiar with the comic book character before writing the film. Interestingly, the lead actors of both films, Logan Marshall green and Tom Hardy, bear a striking resemblance to each other. Now, I doubt Lee Winnell had Venom in mind when he made this movie, but I call bullshit on the fact that he had no idea who Venom was. <laughs> yeah, that part I doubt, because I'm pretty sure Lee Winnell is actually kind of a comics nerd himself. Um, yeah, no, I mean, look, it happens almost every year. We get two films that are roughly the same, minus in 2020 because of other real-world events that happen. Um, but usually we get two similar films every year. Uh, for my money, why I do not hate Venom, um, Tom Hardy is the main reason that film even works for me. Um, this is the better movie. I think upgrades the far superior overall film. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I was to pick one, I will keep going back to this. I haven't gone to, I haven't gone back to Venom nearly as much. So if that says anything, and yes, Tom Hardy and Louis Marshall Green look way too similar when they have beards going on. <laughs> it, is, it is odd. I haven't really gone back to either one. Um, I, I like this film. I like Venom as well. Uh, Venom, just because of, you know, it's Venom. I grew up with that character. It's hard not to ignore that it's, one. It's Venom, and Tom Hardy does such a hell of a job in that movie mm-hmm. that it, I do get a real big enjoyment out of watching it because of him. Like, he's a big reason I really enjoy that movie. Um, but that I would say, like, if it's, like, overall just film with, like, everything and the quality and what I look for in a film... Upgrades is a much stronger film for me. Yeah, fair enough. Number two, filming started in March 2017 in Lee Winnell's hometown of Melbourne and lasted for 30 days. They filmed this thing in a month. That's incredible. That's indie for you, man. That is the indie spirit through and through. Um, that's awesome. I know from I know he's only like outside of Insidious 3. Um, I think he's filmed both of his movies in Australia 
which I get. I mean, if you're from Australia, you got you know, rep, show some love. Yeah. And I'm sure you probably get some pretty awesome tax breaks there. Well, you go where your crew is, you know? You go where the people you trust to make your movie are. Yeah, and based <laughs> off the fact that he's used the same, same cinematographer twice, tells me that's, yeah, he's going back to the well... And you know what? Keep doing that because I'm getting some. Fuck, I'm getting to me some of the most inventive original fucking films out there. And number three, at one point during the hacker building sequence, uh, Billy the doll from Saw can be seen painted on one of the walls. Lee Winnell, of course, wrote the screenplay for Saw. So keep a lookout for Billy. He's in Upgrade and apparently all of Juan and Winnell's movies in some capacity. Yeah, I mean, yeah, unless you're Vin Diesel and you are a big poo poo head. <laughs> and you say no, yeah. Um, like I said, just be on the lookout for their future films. They apparently love to throw their prior stuff, especially Saw, which is really cool because it it shows that um, they're not they're aware of what made them famous, and that was the monster monster success of Saw, and the fact that they keep showing love like, God, all these years later. I mean. We're almost on 20 years on Saw, actually. Oh, my God. Not when you think about it, like, that's that's awesome. And, you know, especially, I would say especially on James Bond's side because he's been doing more, like, quote, unquote, mainstream stuff. So being in a theater, packed theater for Aquaman, where there's probably people that have not seen Saw, don't care about Saw, and the puppet will pop up, that's awesome. It's <laughs> something for me to, like, as someone who loves it, to enjoy and see. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, I give Upgrade an 8. It's a good watch and an intriguing concept. Brilliant camera work and some pretty great performances. You know what? I think I originally gave this a 9, but I'm going to up that to a 10. This is Damn! A, this is a 10 out of 10 for me. I, you know, I tr- I consider this truly Leigh Winnell's debut as a, as a director. Um, I just, yeah, the camera work for the action scenes is some of the most unique and Im- impressive I've seen. The performance in this, the performance especially for Logan Marfreen, had need to be talked about more and should be an argument for why the Oscars seem to stop having their head up their asses <laughs> and ignoring horror and actually maybe look at shit outside of, you know, certain months. Um, and yeah, just having keeping that horror level violence intact is really a, uh, I like a lot. And yeah, I, I fucking love this movie. It's, it's a 10 out of 10. I've seen it. God, over 20 times probably, and we'll continue watching it a shit ton until the day I die. That's awesome. I love hearing about 10s. I love watching the the progression. Very cool. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, Next week, we're going to New Zealand for an early bizarre horror flick from Oscar-winning filmmaker Peter Jackson. The population of a small town vanishes and is replaced by aliens that are hunting human beings for their intergalactic fast food chain. I have never seen this film, but this sounds fucking wacky. <laughs> it's it's very wacky. I have seen it. Um, be prepared. It's quite wacky. Good movie, but it is wacky. All this and more in 1987's Bad Taste. Also, don't miss Toy Story on this week's Oscar Sunday and F9, The Fast Saga, on Monday's sneak preview. Uh, we may, we'll also be covering False Positive on Hulu and The Ice, the Ice Road on Netflix. Nice. I wanted oh. to say The Ice Storm, but that was not right. Yeah, it's another Liam Neeson movie. Um, <laughs> uh, I did forget one quick thing I want to say before we close off on Upgrade here. Yeah, bring it. Um, 
when we talked about how this came and went, um, as some of the people, some of my fellow film guys on the team knows, I had quite the debate with someone <laughs> um, about Hollywood pandering and stuff like that. And all I got to say is to the people that are complaining that Hollywood does not come out with anything original or unique anymore. Other than the fact that film's been around for a very long time, <laughs> and there's really not that many creative, or not creative, but original ideals out there anymore. Yeah. Also, remember that this is a business, and if you're tired of the ninth or tenth Fast and Furious movie, <laughs> don't pay to go see it. The reason you're not going to get something like Upgrade again for a while, or even a sequel to Upgrade, is because... 17 million on 3 million isn't a whole lot to write home about. The studio, even for a studio like Blumhouse, they look in that and go, all right, we did good on this, but it's just not, we don't need to go down the well. It didn't really make that much money. It's going to make less if we do a sequel. Yeah. So, you know, stop complaining that there isn't original stuff in Hollywood anymore. Realize that you as the audience have a big say in what comes out. You, if you want something more shit like Upgrade, then go see it. Go pay the money to go see it. And stop paying for the new Fast and Furious or whatever franchise you're tired of. You don't want more Star Wars movies? If Don't add to the fucking $1 billion they're making at the box office. Like, that's that's all I'm saying. And look, I'm, I'm, I'm to blame too. I do like me my Fast and Furious movies. I like my MCU movies. But at least try to go see this stuff too. And actually show Hollywood that you want a mixture of franchises that you love and you like but also original creative content as well. Well, it comes down to really, I just want good movies on either side. I want, you know, stuff to write home about. I want stuff to think about. And you can get that from your franchises and you can get that from your indie films. It's really just, you know, show love to what you love, you know, reciprocate. Yeah. Don't stop complaining and realize that it's a business and they do things based off box office. So if it's something you want to see more of, go see it. Because the more money it makes, the more you'll get out of that in the end. It's why we have franchises, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> yeah. Words to live by. Well, very true. Uh, until next time, don't let an AI take control of your body, even if you can't walk. And keep watching movies. Mm-hmm.